Hello everyone, welcome to the Markers Up podcast. My name is Jack Johnston, hope you're enjoying your Thursday afternoon. It's a gorgeous day today where I'm at, I'm hoping it's the same for you. Got an interesting weekend of football ahead of us. Interesting in one sense, in that, you know, the footy's always interesting and you never really know where each game's going to go. Um, but it's also interesting because of the scheduling. We've got two Friday night games. I, I, I assume, because they've taken one from Sunday, and it looks like moved it to Friday, and so we've only got two games on the Sunday. I'm assuming it's because of Mother's Day. But it still seems kind of odd in that, I don't know. I don't know how many people are going, you know what, I would go see my mum on Mother's Day, but there's three games on today. There's three games on a Sunday, I don't know if I can do it. And they get rid of one and go, ah, now there's only two games. Well, now, of course, I can see my mum. <laughs> like, seems a bit odd, but I guess it is what it is. Why not make it a Thursday night game? It just seems to... The AFL loves to do this. They love to create problems for themselves. Because this seems like a perfect opportunity to have a Thursday night football game. There should be Thursday night football every week, regardless. But even for this period where they haven't yet decided what they want to do with Thursday Night Football. For this once, go, ah, it's Mother's Day on the weekend. We want to take one game off the Sunday. Let's move it. Make it Thursday night. Uh, I'm sure there's something of this, some broadcast deal um, or there's some stipulation that says, oh, technically we can't now. We have to have six months agreements beforehand, something like that. But still, the point remains. It's weird how we got two Friday night games um, happening. But, I mean... I will say, at least we have a good Friday night game. Uh, and they might not both be great, but uh, we, we, we've got at least 50%. And that's the Richmond-Geelong game. Could be a blowout. Really could be a blowout where Geelong just go, like, we're just continuing our form and we're just going to absolutely dominate. And Richmond kind of show themselves as the team that they are this season. Where, you know, they, they played well against West Coast, but... It's West Coast. I feel like if you play West Coast, it's almost irrelevant in terms of how we judge you. And beyond that game, Richmond's looked pretty poor. Uh, overall, there have been periods where Richmond has looked like really good, almost like Premiership era good. Um, and, you know, Taranto's having a great season. So there's parts there. I'm thinking back to the Melbourne game there, in that Melbourne game for a long time. The game against the Dogs was really competitive. They had that second quarter blitz, the second quarter blitz, where they just looked insane. Um, but the issue for the Tigers has just been running games out and being consistent and putting together. I was going to say four full quarters, but they haven't even really put together a good half. You know, like they're really struggling to be consistent within the game. Uh, whereas Geelong. <laughs> They started the year pretty badly. Like they, there, there were some games there in those first, um, first three weeks, where like, yeah, they, they, they looked like they were just missing so many aspects of what made them so great last year. But then since that point, they, they've been electric. They've just found it. Um, I, I assume that they're going to do well enough that they're not going to necessarily rue those early losses like they're not going to be scraping for finals and go oh, if only we won one of them but it will be interesting interesting to see how the season ends and whether or not you know that start will come to bite come back to bite them but at this point they're they're, they're looking great they're they're flying um all of that <laughs> um being said they're doing that with like half a squad it's incredibly impressive how good they've looked with such little, not I was going to say such little talent, but I mean like the, the 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 amount of talent they started the year with, or even if you go back to the grand final and, and include Selwood, like what they had and what they now have access to in this game and, you know, over the last couple of weeks, and they've still managed to put out these amazing performances. Um, it, it just goes to show, I think, I think it's a real sign of depth, obviously, being able to pull on certain players and go, you need to step up, and them stepping up, you know, 
Um, but I think it's a coaching thing. I think Chris Scott just has, um, he just has that team in lockstep with him, um, and, and his plan and his ideas. And, and I guess that whole footy department really, you know, a lot of credit has to go to the senior coach, but it's, it's that whole footy department seem to just be, they're just a really well-run organization. Um, I, you could almost say there's none better than the cats, um, at least not by any kind of significant margin. So they've been this great Geelong over the last month or so um, without a lot of their really talented players. And they're possibly going to have their most most stretched list in this game. Um, no Dangerfield, no Brad Close. I think De Koning's back. I'm recording this on a Thursday afternoon, so the teams haven't come out yet. Uh, so Dakoning might be coming back, which will be good. Still no Jack Henry. Um, I think Gary Rowan's coming back. I think Rowan's back. He's definitely been out. Just like, uh, there's a lot of these players that Geelong don't, re- don't have access to right now. Um, and that's really Richmond's only hope in, in my view. They're, they're, they're going to have to just prey on that and hope this game, if Richmond's going to win... They're going to have to dominate the midfield, and even then, it's not a, it, it won't be easy. But that's the only way, because that's the only edge I can see Richmond having, because their backline cannot defend Jeremy Cameron and Tom Hawkins. <clears throat> I just don't think they have the personnel to do it. They they they're not horrible by any sense. Um, you know, Dylan Grimes is still one of the 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 great. Uh, defenders playing at the moment, um, or at least has been in a point in his career. He's he's been up there, um, if he's not already there right now. But they just don't. I don't think they have the personnel and the matchups to match up against Hawkins and and Cameron. And then their forward line, you know, still no Lynch, and they look like such a different team without Lynch. I, I'm not saying that they would have gone undefeated if he wasn't injured, um, but I think that his absence is a major reason that we've seen Richmond sort of fall off the cliff. Um, and so you look at Rewalt, like, I, I'm probably one of his few defenders um, who's not a, a Richmond fan. Like, obviously, Richmond fans will defend him, but non-Richmond fans mostly think he's he's old and um, he, he's, he's past it, he's cooked, you know, he, he needs to retire. I think he offers a lot. I don't think... I think the, the, the days of being the number one key forward, I think that's over. Um, and I'm sure he would acknowledge that too. But his career as a backup second option, I think it's there. He he He's not necessarily getting a ton of shots, but he seems to be really efficient, seems to be really accurate, um, and stands up. Like, of the Richmond games that they've been in, right, the ones that have been really close, Rewalt's stood up, in in my view. I feel like he he's a real leader, um... I just think he's a great player, and I think I think he's could keep going another year. I think he, what he has, what he maybe lacks now in terms of strength and speed, he has gained uh, awareness and footy intelligence and leadership, and he can still clunk a great mark. He can still kick a bag of three or four if he gets matched up on the right defender. All that being said, though, like there, that's their best option. Richmond is Jack Rewalt, a guy who's not meant to be a number one forward. He's not meant to be it. Um, and then I forget his name, but the Tigers have this this, this rookie, or at least young uh, key forward. Um, he might break out, but there's no reason to say it's going to be this game, especially with the way that Radigali is playing at the moment. Stewart, like, um, I just don't know if this will be the game to do it. Shai Bolton, been a bit of a surprise how disappointing his season has been overall. Uh before the season, I probably would have put him in, maybe not top 10 best players, but definitely top 10 most entertaining, like most exciting, most dangerous players. Doesn't really have that energy. And then Dustin Martin, is he kind of, I don't know if it's time to move off him. Um, uh, in fact, I would say it is not the time to move off him, but I just don't think that he's the same player. So that forward line is just, yeah, I just don't know where they're getting their goals from. So, if they're going to win, Richmond, they have to dominate the midfield. They've got to give their forwards opportunity after opportunity after opportunity 
to try and put together a winning score and stop Geelong from getting the ball to Jeremy Cameron and Tom Hawkins. So if you do that, you let Geelong just walk out of the center circle and kick it inside 50. You just let them do that all game. Not only are you going to lose, you're going to get thrashed. I mean, I mean like 100-point margin, the way that Richmond has looked this season and the way that Geelong has looked. Like th- This is where this could possibly go. So not only do, do I think that they could lose if they don't if they don't dominate in this area, they could get absolutely demolished. So I think Taranto, Hopper, um, I think is Prestia playing? Um, I feel like there's a really good player for Richmond's not playing at the moment. Um, but like that midfield, and particularly Taranto, who's you know got a lot of hate from. Well, I was going to say the media. It's really just Kane Collins, <laughs> but um, uh, as he does, but Taranto has been a really good pickup for them. He's maybe not the most efficient kick, but with everything else he offers, I'd take that. It's really weird how when when you don't like a player, when you want to um when you want to put someone down and go, oh, no, they're not that good. You your basic the standard to which you're putting these players is impossible in the sense that you're expecting them to be a complete player. But why would we expect anyone to be a complete player? It's a weird expectation. Because the very few players who are complete footballers are like the GOATs. The, 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 if not the GOATs, at least the best players, the sort of like top five crop that are playing right now. Is that really the standard for Taranto? Is that the standard for Jacob Hopper? Is that the standard for Tom Atkins? Is that the standard for like a bunch of these players? You can name any of them. It, it, it feels odd because surely actually the standard should be do you excel at your strengths and do you minimize and reduce your weaknesses? That's the standard. How well do you do that? That really should be the bar and that should be the, the process by which we... Um, evaluate players. And so I look at Taranto and I go, okay, his strength is he's a bull. He, he sees ball, gets ball, and he hits the scoreboard. He's a contested clearance beast who gets a lot of the footy and kicks goals. Like, that's a pretty good, that's a pretty damn good, like, description of a player. But, you know, to the Kane Corns types, well, he's not the most efficient by foot. He turns the ball over. Okay, he's not the greatest of all time. I guess Richmond shouldn't have traded for him. It's a really weird argument. Taranto's really good, and I think he he will have to lead that midfield brigade if they have any chance of, of winning this game. Um, I think one last bit on this game. Geelong, if they're this good with, like, half of their players from the Grand Vinyl, I think the competition should be really scared of what's going to happen when they get everyone back. Because there was a period where it looked like back-to-back was over. Yeah, they might make finals, but back the, the dream of back-to-back's over. Too much ground to make up. There, there, there's too much going wrong here. They'll, they'll run out of time to fix all these issues. The dream of back-to-back is over. It is far from over for Geelong. They they just got to keep... They just got to keep uh, accruing these wins and finish top four. That's all they want. That's all they want. They just want the double chance. They want a home final. Although they probably won't get it at Cardinia Park, but still. They, they just want a path towards a granny. And I think that they'll get damn close, if not get there. And if they get there, they would be the favourites by a mile. Um, it's just crazy that we're having this conversation after the way they started, where, like, not only were they 0-3, but... And, you know, if you're a Cats fan and you disagree, um, you know, we're, we're all entitled to our opinions, and I, and I can see the different arguments. But to me, the first three weeks, particularly the Gold Coast game, they looked... Pretty ordinary. 
and, and that's sort of a flattering way to put it. Um, and that's obviously comparing it to the standard that they reached. Like, we're comparing it to a team that just won the grand final. It's not the same for everyone. But for this team that had just won a granny, their first three weeks looked, at best, kind of okay and patchy and, you know, would get a run on but couldn't really put together a full performance, turn the ball over. But at worst, looked uncompetitive, looked slow, looked looked unfit. Uh, it was... Uh, no, one, no one in their camps would have said it, but you wouldn't be... Or you wouldn't be judged too harshly for saying it's panic stations. And for them to turn it around, I think it's just incredible. And I think we're yet to see the peak of Geelong. And I think when we do, um, Geelong fans are going to be out of their chairs, excited. And I think everyone else is going to be pretty damn terrified. Just going to briefly go over the other Friday night game because it seems pretty boring to me. And I don't know if I'll watch it. Um, And that's the Suns versus West Coast. West Coast could win this game. I know they've been horrible. I know that basically, you know, Geelong has no players. Look at fucking West Coast. Like, they have nobody. They are, they're pulling from, like, the the reserves of the reserves. Um, and they just look. They, they look like the wooden spooners already. But, as was the case last year, West Coast has this weird thing where they go... Uh, we're actually going to be great today. We're actually going to be great. We're actually going to put together a really good performance and win. Because last year, that was the game against Collingwood. The team that was great last season, almost made it to a grand final. West Coast beat them last year. And West Coast was shit last year. <laughs> I don't know if they're as bad as they are this year, but they were bad. And I'm not saying Gold Coast is Collingwood, but that's almost works in favour of West Coast, going that they don't even have to beat a Collingwood-type team. Um, on Friday night. She's going to beat the Gold Coast, who are without their best midfielder in Tuke Miller. Um, they do have um, the grass eater, Matt Rowell, um, and Noah Anderson, who looks great. Like, Gold Coast should win. Gold Coast should win by 30, 40 points. But in the same way that West Coast, over the last couple of years, has this weird habit of going, we're going to be shit for the entire season, except for one or two games. And we're going to be at home, and we're just going to play really well. Gold Coast, though, also have a habit of putting together a good performance. I know they lost last week, but they look really good. And then going, you know what? We're not going to back it up. <laughs> we're, we're going to extinguish any hope that you might have had for us after a good performance. Um, and we're going to lose a game that we should win. So I just got a weird feeling that West Coast is going to win this game. But it's just a weird feeling. By every other metric, Gold Coast should not only beat them, but smash it by 40 points. Uh, Saturday, we've got Sydney and Fremantle. Man, Sydney got to win this game. Sydney, if they lose this game at home to Fremantle, who are, you know, all right, they're around the park. Um, Probably a disappointing start, but they can still salvage something out of their season. Um, And they've looked better than they started. But at home, grand finalist Sydney Swans got to win this game. Got to win this game. If you lose this game, it's not season over because it's way... I, I don't even think you can make a prediction about someone's season like accurately and responsibly in the first half of the season. You have to wait for the second half. You have to have seen more football than there is to play to have any kind of educated um, guess. But they'll be on that track if they lose this game. Sydney is... Talking about panic stations, Sydney already is at panic stations. Um, and Fremantle will do everything they can to upset this team. Because, you know, like I said, they, they started pretty horribly. But like most good teams that start bad, they eventually get on a bit of a roll. And I think that Frio might start to do that. Even though I don't rate their list, I think... I don't think they'll make finals. And I don't think I even picked them for finals preseason. But they're putting something together... And they, they will see this as uh, an upset um, in their sights. And Sydney has to be really careful they don't let this one slip. Especially at home. Like, it's at home. Sydney's another one. Like, there's so many teams this year that just have had such injury-ravaged seasons. And Sydney is another one. They're missing 
like three of their oh, I think two now because the other McCartan brother got back but there's a period there where they were missing three of their best defenders the two McCartan brothers and Dane Rampey now um, Tom McCartan I believe is back Paddy McCartan's not because of his concussion um, and I not only do I doubt we'll see him this season I doubt we'll see him play football again which is a really sad sort of end to his story um, at least his, his football professional football story um, and then Dane Rampey who maybe not stats wise but in terms of leadership and orchestrating that defense is probably the most important of them all so they've got injury issues as well but this is just one of those ones where and we've seen it already in this season we need someone to step up for Sydney and go I'm not leaving this field without a win. It is not happening. We saw it with Bontempelli against Brisbane. Dogs were 0-2, desperately needed a win, and Bont just said, get on my back, boys. We're, we're, we are not leaving Marvel Stadium without a W. And they left with a W. Um, I, I feel like, and there's other examples that aren't quite coming to my head, I, I feel like there was a a moment like that with with Jason Horn Francis and Port Adelaide, um, we've seen it with teams this year, and you're probably thinking of one that I'm that's not coming to mind. Sydney needs one of those games, and it has to be on Saturday Arvo. It's got to be Papley or, but actually, know who it should who it should be? Chad Warner. You want to be in this next category of midfielders of no, he's not just ah, oh, he's pretty good, he's a gun like the top crop of best midfielders in the comp. You want to be that guy, Chad? Put the team on your back and say, we're not leaving the SCG without a W. It is not happening on my watch, and go out there and get it. Um, and if they don't have that kind of... Um, if, they're not, if they're not in that headspace, then, then they've lost this game before the first bounce. So, big stakes in that one. Uh, then we've got Port versus North. Port had a bit of a rocky start. Some really good performances, some really poor performances. But I think now they're on a bit of a roll. Um, and I, they, they look really good. And North, pff, kind of weird to think they've won two games. We're, when you look at them play now, you're like, how did Clarko put that together? Uh, there's no way North wins this game. Um, it's just not happening. Although, it is in Tassie. Maybe that might give them a slight chance. Port are a far better team at home than they are on the road. Okay, interesting, interesting. I hadn't realised it was in Tassie, so maybe North go from 0% chance of winning to, like, 3.5% chance. I'll give them that. Uh, then we got Melbourne versus Hawthorne. Hawthorne are weird in that they're bad, they're horrible, they're effectively tanking, but... They've never looked... The worst they've looked is two quarters against the Cats. Second half against the Cats, they were just... They were nothing. They, 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 they were barely a football team. But beyond that, they've been pretty competitive in all of their games. They've had some close losses. They've had some competitive uh, like losses that they couldn't quite get over the top. Um, and they've got a win on the board. So, I really think that Melbourne should win this, and they should win it comfortably. But Richmond, who I don't really rate, really put it to Melbourne. I, I could see, I could see Hawthorne making this a fun game. Four thirty-five on a Saturday Arvo, Hawthorne versus Melbourne strikes me as the kind of game where you don't tune it, tune into it to start. You're like, eh, Hawthorne, the bottom of the ladder, Melbourne, they're a great team. This will be a blowout, and you just forget about it. And then you check your phone at, you know. 5.50. There's 10 minutes left in the fourth quarter. You're like, oh shit. Hawthorne's up by a goal. I'm going to put this game on. And then you look back and you realise that this has been a sort of topsy-turvy game. And ultimately Melbourne will win by a goal after the siren. But I reckon it's one of those games where on paper you're like, no way is this competitive. But Saturday Arvo games, ten there tends to be a weird one. A weird one where you're like, this isn't the result I expected, nor the result that anyone expected. I don't think it's going to be the Port Adelaide North one. I think it's going to be this one, Melbourne and Hawthorne. I think Hawthorne have really... That midfield, got a lot of talent. James Sicily's great down back. Um, they've got... Uh, what's his name? Mitch Lewis back in the forward line. They've finally got like a key forward. They haven't had a key forward. 
until Mitch Lewis came back against the Dogs. So I reckon what watch this one as a surprisingly spicy game that ultimately Melbourne wins and we forget about it in two hours. Uh, one of the two Saturday night games, starting off with Brisbane and Essendon. Essendon's a weird one as well, in that before the season started, people were like, oh, Essendon, pick them for bottom four. They're rebuilding. New coach, not much talent there, and any talent that is there, they're kind of old and past it anyway. They're, they're a rebuilding team. And then they started out really well. They looked just as good as anybody. And everyone was shocked. And they and they managed to sustain it for a fairly long period of time, like a month plus. And I think that sort of has put everyone in the AFL community into this sort of sense of going, oh, Essendon's a great team. And so now that they've had this sort of rough patch where they haven't really won as many games and, you know, they're struggling to stay in the eight, a lot of people are like, oh, disappointing for Essendon. We had such high expectations for them. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Your high expectations for them was 16th preseason. They've started the first month or so way, 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 way above expectations. And they've been slightly worse than that over over the last month, but still way better than you were expecting them to be at the end of the season. So, I don't know, it's, it's just a weird one for us. And we're... I don't know, people should be giving them more credit. They're, they're a team that's technically rebuilding, got a new coach. They have no right to be any good. And yet Brad Scott has figured out how to utilize his list and the talent and not just put a fun score together and be fun to watch. We've seen that from Essendon over the last decade almost. Like That has been Essendon's identity, is that they're fun, they put together some good games, they've got some good talent, but ultimately they don't really win and it's because defensively they're pretty leaky and they're just not hard to play against. Not the case. Brad Scott and his defense and that back line just seem to be in sync. Now, no Jordan Ridley, because he just got absolutely sucker punched by um, Rioli from Port. No Ridley's going to hurt because he's probably... Him and Redmond are probably their best defenders. So that's going to be rough, but I don't know. Just, it's kind of separate to my thoughts on this game, but just talking about Essendon makes me think that I've got to give them more credit. We were expecting them to be one of the worst teams of the year, and they've performed way beyond expectations. Just keep that in mind of where we thought this team would be. Um, have a bit of a longer memory than just a few months. Um, Essendon aren't a top four team. Yes, they might have been in the top four for a month to start the season, but. They're, they're not a team that has aspirations. Their standard is not top four. They may have aspirations for top four, but that's not the standard. That's not the bar. The bar is probably, I don't know, kind of the middle, yeah, probably something like 12th, 13th. It's probably your bar. If you finish below that, it's probably disappointing. You might have hoped for something different from Brad Scott. Finish above that, you finish, you know, around 11th, 12th. That's pretty good. And you've made finals. Wow. You know. And that's not even top four. So I think we just gotta we gotta give Essendon and that footy department and those players a lot of credit for the season they've put together so far, even if they're not you know, even if they're not in the top four anymore. Just remember that uh they they had they have a they should have a much lower bar than we're currently giving them. For some reason we're expecting them to be top four when we never had that expectation before the season. But in this game they will lose to Brisbane. <laughs> they will lose to Brisbane at the Gabba because Brisbane's on fire. They're, they're, they're rolling. Them and Port seem to be not the best teams in the league, but they've just, I don't know. They've got something special. They've got something special, these two teams, offensively. Um, defensively is a different question, but they just feel like they can beat anyone on any day now that they've figured out what their offense looks like. Whether, they, whether that's the recipe to win a premiership, I don't know. In fact, I would say probably not. Winning a premiership is probably based on balance and, and defense and, you know, all of it to put together. But in terms of home and away games and putting together fun, entertaining performances, I think Brisbane and Port are sort of right up there. And I think Brisbane, unfortunately, 
will put Essendon's feet to the fire and um, be a class above them. Would love to see an upset. Would love to see a road win for Essendon. Um, again, because I just feel like they've been so disrespected by by people in, in just on Twitter and on the internet. Like, we should be praising this team already. So I'd like to see, the, see them get a little bit more credit, and I think that will come with more wins. But Brisbane will win this one pretty easily, I think. You know, like a 24-point victory, something like that. Then our second Saturday night game, Carlton versus the Bulldogs. This is a game that Carlton, they don't have to win for their season, but they're just under so much outside pressure in terms of, speaking about expectations, people had like premiership expectations for Carlton. Minimum top four, they were like, we saw improvement last year. This is the year where they jump up and they just, they've got the list. They've got the, you know, the last two common medal winners. They've got Colonel Mackay, Weedering, Sam Walsh, Patrick Cripps, like got all this talent. Michael Voss, he looks all right. looks like a good coach. looks like he's, he's unlocked this team and they've been fine. Like they've not been bad. They've just been fine. Take out their West Coast game, because it was against West Coast, it means nothing. Besides that, they've been fine. They've had some good games, they've had some bad games. They've had some alright games. They're kind of just around, which I just think is far below what people had expectations for. I think probably what they expected of themselves. And then the Bulldogs started horribly, started almost as bad as you could have thought of, like, were... In parts of the Melbourne game, but ultimately we're just outclassed and outmatched. Melbourne's just a bad matchup for the Dogs, personnel-wise and gameplay-wise. They just they, they just don't match up well. It was the Saints game. It was round two, which at the time felt like a game the Dogs should have won. But now the Saints look really good, so m- maybe that was not as bad of a loss as we thought it was. But still, just got absolutely bullied. Just bullied. Um, they 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 looked they. L- Looked horrible. One of the worst games I've seen from the Bulldogs. Which is, you know, which is saying something, considering the games they've played in the past. But from round three onwards, from Brisbane onwards, they've won four of their last five, I think. Or five of their last six dogs. Like, they've been really good. They've And they've yet to put together a really kind of scary score. The forwards haven't quite connected yet. But... I think with time, because it's you know it's a new forward mix, it's time it'll take time for that to gel. And you know Norton and Jamara are both still young players. I think Norton's twenty two, Jamara's nineteen. Like, it takes a while for these players to develop. And you know adding Rory Lobb's been great, but it'll take time for that to gel. What has worked for the Dogs is that while that forward line meshes and develops, the midfield has stepped up. It's one of the best contested possession and clearance midfields in the comp um which you know has kind of been the dog's dna since luke beveridge came and coached for them but it's just continued again possibly even better the stats might not say it but i don't know i think i think bontempelli's resurgence as a contested beast has just made that midfield so much better i think it's more balanced um no trelaw for this game is really going to hurt but trelaw has been great this season um lib has been great feel like missing dunkley I haven't really noticed him, to be honest. I think it's a win-win. Dunkley is happy at Brisbane, and Brisbane have really benefited from his contributions. And our midfield, having let him go, our midfield's better balanced, um, and we got some draft picks, you know, so I think it it seems like a win-win scenario. But I think the biggest improvement, and why the Dogs have been able to stack wins despite not putting together a really impressive score, is the back line and the defense. It has been beyond my wildest dreams. (laughs) Like, I'm just so used to a Luke Beveridge team being great midfield, great forward line, and kicking lots of points. But man, I would do do have a leaky defense. Man, we give up a lot of scores. We haven't been perfect, but damn, we've been really good. The best defense I think the dogs have ever had under Beveridge. Again, I don't know if the stats necessarily bear that out, but sometimes it's not a matter of stats. It's a matter of looking at the game and going, I've never seen teams 
have to work harder to score against us. They just have to work so much harder than they've had to. Liam Jones is a big part of that, but I think just the 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 continued growth of guys like Ed Richards, who's becoming a real intercept threat, Bailey Dale off that halfback, you know, he's cleaned up to his disposals and all of a sudden he's back to his best. Caleb Daniel when he plays down there. Um, you know, I think Ryan Gardner, having him back in the side's really good. Alex Keith has stepped up. Josh Bruce before his injury is really good. Like the defense has just been immense. I think we've got the third best defense in terms of points allowed. I'm yeah, we I'm pretty sure I read that we've got the third least amount of points conceded in the league behind, I think, St. Kilda, maybe Melbourne or Collingwood. Um, third best. Like, we've ne- the Dogs have never been that kind of team since Beveridge has coached them, and really since I've watched them. Um, and it just makes it exciting to think of as a Dog supporter where you're like, well, we've got the talent up forward. We've got Aaron Norton, Jamar Hagen, Rory Lobb, Cody Waitman, Artie Jones, and you throw in the Telstra man, Anthony Scott, as I like to call him, um, Bailey Smith flowing through there, um, Caleb Daniel sometimes make a high half forward. Talent's there. Once that clicks, and all of a sudden, those guys start getting a little more separation and start understanding their, their leading patterns a little more, and Cody and Artie Jones start getting a bit better at crumbing and start developing a little bit more, and we keep this third-best defense and continue to be this contested clearance midfield with Bontepelli having one of the best seasons we've ever seen from a midfielder. Not my quote, that's from Champion Data, which I know has its flaws, and I don't think it's the best way to judge players, but it's one way, and one way to judge Bontepelli's season so far is that it's been the second best we've ever seen after Gary Ablett Jr. Um, but even disregarding Champion Data and just looking at how he's played, He's just been lights out. He's probably having his career best year. And him just leading that midfield brigade. If the midfield can keep doing its thing, and the back line can keep holding up and st- and keep being as tough to play against as they've been, and the forward line clicks, man, I think will be something scary. Does that happen against Carlton? No. <laughs> because Carlton loves to play against the Bulldogs. I don't know. I just feel like my memory of watching Carlton is that they just always dominate. Um, they just seem to have a knack for playing against us. So it'll be one of those frustrating things where if we lose, the media's going to be all like, oh, the dogs are back in the pack, fighting for finals. Is Bevo the right coach? Do they have the right mix? Did Was it good to leave Donkley go? All of this stuff. But if we beat Carlton, everyone will go, ah, it doesn't matter. Carlton aren't that good anyway. We don't really rate Carlton. Yeah, they beat West Coast, but they haven't been that great. So it's not really a big win. I swear that one of those two is going to be true. But if we kind of ignore the media for a second, I think it's going to be a massive win for the Dogs because they've had a few good performances, but kind of just scraped by. Scraped by against Hawthorne. Actually, it's probably not crediting the boys enough. Managed against Hawthorne. I think they managed the game well, but didn't get into fourth gear. Um... Played really good against the Giants, but I really rate them, and they they, they clawed back in. Um, and again, kind of managed the game, pushed, kept them at bay enough, and yet to see... The, the Frio game's probably been the best game the Dogs have played this year, where just there, there was no sign of the Dogs losing the game, and they just looked better by miles. Um, and I feel the Dogs need a game, another game like that. Is that going to happen against Carlton? I don't know. But I hope so, because it's Saturday night, prime time, a a, a, a a game that, you know, is kind of worth two wins, in a sense. It's a win for you, but also you take a win away from a team that's kind of going to be around you and going to be fighting for spots that you want. So really valuable. I think Dogs probably should win in terms of from form, um, from a form perspective. How we match up on Kerno and Mackay, I don't know. Um... But as we saw when Brisbane played Carlton, like Brisbane don't have the best back six, but they had the right system. And so I'm going to have faith that the Dogs' defensive system that has held up and been the third best in the league continues to hold up against this team. But Carlton will be no pushover because they will be determined 
to prove the critics wrong and silence the critics and silence everyone that's criticizing them. Um, and I, they, they will put together a belt of a performance. I can guarantee that. Two more games to look at. The Sunday games. Thank God there's only two. If there were three, I wouldn't be able to see my mum. Uh, <laughs> we've got uh, Adelaide versus St Kilda. This will be a cracker. St Kilda, obviously, uh, they're, they're riding high. They're one of the best teams in the league at the moment. Um, Ross Lyons just out of the blue. Another team that's just had so many injury concerns, and yet they've they've just managed to dominate despite it. Um, it's really impressive from Ross Lyon. Um, and then Adelaide. I like Adelaide. I don't know. I, I, they're not my second team this year, but I feel like every year there's a few teams out there that you like. I kind of like what they're building. I like I like the cut of their jib, you know. I, I kind of like what's going on over there. And Adelaide, I feel like, they're that team for me this year where I'm quite invested in Jordan Dawson and his season. I really like watching him play, and I'm hoping he continue his good form. Um, I just like their forward mix. Um, I don't like Taylor Walker as a person. Um, he seems like a racist, um, despicable human being. Uh, but in terms of from a football perspective, I just like their forward mix. I like Fogarty, Phil Thorpe, Isaac Rankin's been great. Like, um, And I like their backline. Um, ben Keyes is a great player. Like, They've just got a lot of players I like. I like the coach. I like their colours. <laughs> This is a team that I'm kind of like, I kind of like watching Adelaide. I hope they do well this year, um, except for next week when the Dogs play them. Uh, do they beat St Kilda, though? Maybe, because it's at home, it's at Adelaide. This might be a bit of an upset. I could see Adelaide putting together a really good performance. They've had a few disappointing but competitive results the last two weeks. St Kilda, um, might, their, their luck might run out in this game. In fact, I think I'm going to tip Adelaide. I think the home ground advantage might just tip it in their, in their favour. And then, last but not least, we've got Collingwood versus the Giants. If the Giants had Toby Green, I'd give him a real good hard crack. Just because Collingwood loves to play close games, and GWS loves to be in games. They've been competitive all year, even in their losses. They've never got thrashed this year, I feel like. But if they miss Toby Green for a second consecutive week, I just don't know if they have the next gear to go to against this Collingwood team that is probably the best team in the league right now. They are from a ladder perspective, but I think even just if you take away the ladder and just think of the teams, I think they're the best team right now. Um, and we keep saying, oh, this luck will run out. They'll stop losing these. They'll stop winning these close games. Eventually it'll catch up to them. The way I see it is I agree, but we you'll, we'll have to wait and see until that happens. Until it happens, I'm going to keep tipping Collingwood. The, you get, the Collingwood are going to have to... They're going to have to prove these people wrong. Um, all right, so they're going to have to prove them right. Because at this point, if they just continue on this track, they're going to keep doing it. And they probably will keep doing it. Um, and I feel like it'd be irresponsible to not tip Collingwood um, if they just keep up this form. But if Toby Green plays, Toby Green plays, I give him a chance. Give him like a... 1 in 20 chance, something like that. <laughs> um, so that's this weekend of football. Uh, some interesting games, some snooze fests, I think. Um, but I'm looking forward to watching all the games and sort of uh, seeing how they all unfold. Uh, I just want to make one little comment on um, the MRO. Seems to be really in the headlines again uh, this week. I don't really have any unique or specific thoughts. I feel like everyone's sort of uh, made their points pretty clear. I don't want to necessarily add much more to the dialogue. It's been pretty well said already, but I think just in general, I, I think the AFL needs just some time to reset their system. In in the off-season, they just need to sit down with everyone that's responsible for this group and, and, and system and just go, okay, what do we want out of this game? What do we want? Let's stop tweaking Stop tweaking. I've had enough. But we've been tweaking and going, oh, okay, now this we're, we're a little harsher on this, and uh, we're a little more lenient on that, or, okay, this aspect here, oh, we don't really like that one anymore, and this one, uh, you know, it's okay. No more tweaking. The end of this season, the AFL needs to have a proper sit-down and just clean slate it. Go, let's imagine we're creating a new league starting today. 
What do we want? What are our priorities? How do we balance player health and safety with entertaining football? What is worth the risk of concussion? What isn't? Like, I think if, if, if they keep just tweaking on the fly, we'll, we'll never be happy. And we'll never fix it if we just keep tweaking on the fly and keep fixing th- problems as they sprout up. Because it's just going to keep happening because it has kept happening. The only way I see us finding a way through this is the AFL putting some significant time into reevaluating the entire sport and the league. Don't make I'm, I'm not saying therefore like completely change it, but reevaluate. Even if the evaluation is, oh, we've got it pretty much right, except for one or two things. But I still want them to reevaluate everything and just look at everything across the board when it comes to player health and safety and just check and go, is this where we want it? Is this where we want it? Does this make sense? Does this align with our values? Does this is this where we're heading in terms of concussion and technology? Like, if the AFL doesn't do that, um, then all hope is lost in a, in a sense. Like, because all I see, even if they come up with a good solution to you know whether it's the Van Ruin thing where he striked him across the face, whether it's Brad Close slinging someone, not even slinging, um, uh, driving someone into into the ground, maybe. Even if they find good solutions and we find a good balance this season and we go to a point where we're like, you know what, it's kind of rough at the start of the season, but, you know, the MRO finally found it a consistent decision by the end and they figured it out. They'll be back next year. They'll be back and we'll go, oh, it's back again. I thought this wasn't illegal. Now it is. It's going to be the same discussion every year unless the AFL just throws everything out as if it's a new season, sorry, as if it's a new league, and just from scratch, what do we want? What do we want from the players? What do we want from, you know, AFL communities and local footy? How do we balance the safety with the entertainment? I feel like it's a a far more philosophical um, topic than I think the AFL is giving it credit for. Because there's a real discussion to be had about, like, consent. And going, there is a line where, as the AFL, you have to step in and go, without your consent, basically, we are not going to let you participate in this behavior. And if you do, we will punish you. Because I'm sure if you left up to the players, they'd say, nah, let us sling tackle. I'm up for it. I'm tough. I'll take it. I want to be able to sling tackle, even if it means that I get sling tackled. Or, I want to be able to spoil the ball, no matter what, and if it punches someone in the face, I shouldn't be punished. Even if that happens to me. Like, players would be happy to take on so much contact. But as an organization, the AFL steps in and says no. Uh, and that's an issue of, not an issue, but it's a topic of consent and and responsibility. And when do you as a league, as an organization, as an overseer of other human beings, when is it appropriate when is it your responsibility to step in and force someone to not do something, right? And when is it your responsibility to <clears throat> let them go and let them face the consequences? I think it's a real deep, philosophical, difficult conversation the AFL is going to have to have. Um, and if they don't have it with themselves, and I don't mean over a cuppa, I mean over a long period of time with consultants and, um, you know, boardrooms, like the whole lot, the whole lot. Got to throw everything at this because we're really getting to a place that's just going to forever be inconsistent and ultimately going to continue to be harming players. It's going to be both. We're going to get the worst of both worlds because we're going to get, we're going to have a system that no one understands, which is going to affect both um, player availability because players are going to be suspended because they don't know what the rules are. They don't know what the, um, the the views of the MRO is, but also it'll affect player like skill and talent because they're not going to be as hard at the footy. They're gonna they're not going to take risks. It's going to affect it like that. But we're also still going to see players get concussed because again, it's going to be confusing. It'll be like I don't know if I'm allowed to do this. I don't know. 
the aim arrow will be con will be inconsistent um, in favor of the tackler, and all of a sudden this guy won't get suspended. Like, what's going on? So, unless the AFL has a good hard look at themselves and their priorities and their values from a broader, eagle-eyed, philosophical point of view, and come to a decision over a like three-month period, they don't do that. Then I think I think we're lost, and I think we're sort of we're we're, we're fighting over something pretty inconsequential um, in terms of we're having these arguments that it's not really going to change in the end is kind of is where I feel like it's heading. So we've got to really sort of put our foot down as a league and as a community and, and, and make some decisions, some hard and fast, well thought out, educated, strong decisions. Not this shit where we see we're reactive. The AFL has been too reactive. Get ahead of the issues and go and just look at it all and make some decisions that will prevent these incidences. Don't just, set up a really confusing system that nobody really understands and nobody really gets. And then when someone inevitably doesn't understand the system and makes the wrong decision, in quotation marks, you punish them. It's it's not going to work and it's could spell trouble for the league, sadly. Uh, I've rambled on enough. Um, thanks for listening to today's podcast. Bit of a sort of more straightforward uh, week preview um but uh, and then you know tacked on a bit of mro discussion at the end there uh, i hope you enjoyed listening um would love to give a shout out to the chaps chat cats podcast um they're they're good mates of mine and if you if you don't already listen to their podcast you have to listen to their podcast it's the bed pod it's the best podcast going around um those three blokes are absolutely hilarious and really well informed and have great takes and, and, and cover so much footy. It's it's insane. It's insane the amount of work they put in. Um, you know, Jake's writing stuff. He's putting out podcasts, Patreon content, really affordable Patreon content, it should be should be said, um, for, for the amount of stuff you get for, I think it's like three bucks a month. It's like less than a coffee. Um, the amount of stuff you get. Even if you're not a Cats fan, like obviously they do John Cats content. Even if you're not, it's just great to support independent footy creators um and they they put out almost the best stuff out there it's it's great so if you don't really listen to their podcast check them out the chaps chat cats um and if they um tickle your fancy so much check out their patreon um and chuck them a few bucks a month um and the stuff you get in return it's pretty damn good value um thanks again for listening to today's episode um you can find markers up um on twitter and all social media at markers up uh, I'll be back in your feeds next week.